when people say, what's your big why? I really spend time and ask myself the question. If you were gone from the world today, Ogla, what legacy would you leave behind? And the more I went through that journey and you know, you take the assessments online and you talk to somebody and you read some book and you start really getting clear on your purpose, nothing, I'm telling you, as you're gonna be thrown a lot of curveballs, you're gonna hear the naysayers, you're going to hear people directly tell you to your face that you're not supposed to be where you are or you need mm -hmm. to redirect, which means taking you off the path of your destiny. And one of the things is once I got clarity on that, I just blocked the noise. And I realized that my life was about other people. My life was about my children, my community, my parents, making sure my parents were, were comfortable, you know, making sure that I, I, helped, I, I helped build my dad a, a brand new house, build a house for my mom, build a legacy home for my children in, in Kenya, free and clear. Hello and welcome to the Color of Money podcast. I am your host, Julia Lachey, joined by my co-host today, Daniel Dixon, and we have a special guest. But before I introduce the special guest, um, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about today and give you a little bit of information. Uh, today's topic is called Single Black woman. It should be called single black female, I think, I, but but we didn't. We called it a single black woman. Anyways, uh, it's it's about um, black wealth for single black women. And the reason why is because we talk a lot about statistics and the wealth gap and all of these things. Um, one of the statistics among the most startling relevations in the wealth data is that while single white women in the prime of their working years, uh, which is 36 to 49, um, have a median wealth of 42,600, which by the way, is still only 61% of their white male counterparts. Um, the median wealth for a single black woman is, hold your seats, $5. Um, I know you've probably heard me on this podcast say before that it's $12. Uh, it depends on who you ask, but whether five or 12, it's incredibly low, right? Uh, so I'm, I, I have an article that we're kind of working off of that we'll be discussing throughout this podcast um, from the Urban Institute. Uh, and the article is called, You Can't Improve Black Women's Economic Well-Being Without Addressing Both Wealth and Income Gaps. So we're going to put that in the show notes so that you can read that article. Um, but I'm going to read a little excerpt from it um, before I introduce our guest. Um, and it specifically says, uh, wealth and income are two components of economic well-being. Income is a flow of money that comes in from employment, social security, other sources, yet wealth consists of assets minus debt. We know that. Wealth is critical. In its absence, families have difficult, difficulty managing financial emergencies, passing down money to the next generation, and participating in activities that can build even more wealth, like purchasing a home or starting a business. Um, but wealth is not equal, equally accessible. Black households have just 15% of the wealth of white households, and this has not changed much over time. For Black women, the gap is also stark. For instance, single Black women he household heads with a college degree have 38% less wealth than single white women without one. So if, you have, if you're a single Black woman with a college degree is 38% less, which is $5,000, than single white women without a degree, which is $8,000. Among married women who are the head of the household, which is a whole nother conversation we are not having today, Black women with a bachelor's degree have 79% less wealth at $45,000 than white women with no degree at all at 117,000 and 83% less wealth than white women with a college degree, 260,000. 
Let me say that again. If you're a black woman with a bachelor's degree, the average net worth is 45000 If you're a white woman with a college degree, it's 260000 uh, Bottom line is marital status and education do not close the gap. It go, this article goes on to say uh, some solutions, which I like to talk about. I'm all about solutions. The article goes on to talk about solutions, and it calls itself, it says, solutions for Black women directly from Black women. And uh, the solutions that it highlights are homeownership and uh, Black women-owned businesses. Um, and so that is what we're talking about today, the solutions for Black women directly from Black women, and those two of those solutions being homeownership and businesses owned by Black women having access to more capital. So for that conversation, all of that to say, for that conversation, I want to introduce you all to my very good friend, my sister, my sister friend, uh, Ogla Gatima. Ogla Gatima is the operating principal owner of Keller Williams Legacy Realty in Orlando, Florida. So uh, again, if you're wondering what an operating partner is, we've talked about that being a franchise owner. Daniel Dixon, our co-host, is a franchise owner in Colorado. Emmerich Peace is a franchise owner in Baltimore. And Ogla is a franchise owner in Florida. She leads the strategic vision, direction, and overall operations of uh, this particular franchise. Prior to real estate, Ogla has been a performance-focused executive in the hospitality and retail industries. She has over 20 years' experience in startup, turnaround, and mature business growth in Africa, Europe, and the USA. She is an inspiring leader, and I capitalize inspiring leader, and she's passionate about philanthropy. She's a very passionate philanthropist who gives back her time um, to champion women and children in different parts of the world. Uh, most importantly, she's a proud mother of four amazing children. She is a single Black woman who is a homeowner and a business owner. And so she's going to have this conversation with me. And and Daniel, you can just chime in wherever you see yourself fitting into this. But <laughs> I, I, I'm going to struggle on this one. This is going to be uh, find, my, find my questions and find my ways to fit in. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, Ogla. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, friend. Happy to be here. So start off by telling us about yourself, uh, what you do, uh, how you do it, and how you do it alone. And by alone, I don't mean by alone. I don't mean that we don't have tribes because I too am a single black woman. We absolutely have people. Everybody yeah. has people. Um, but as a single mother, uh, tell us how you do all the wonderful things you do. You know, for me, it, it really goes back to uh, being raised in a polygamous family where my father remarried multiple times. So I felt like my mom and I, my mom was almost like a single mom, right? And so I watched her, I watched my grandmother, I watched how they navigated um, at a very early age, how they navigated life. Um, being My mom was a teacher for 37 years. And I learned some of those like cultural aspects and also um, the, you know, the, what we call the counterbalancing, which, you know, there's no balance, right? But right now, currently, I know I was married before, but I've been a single mom um, more than being married and raising uh, three of my children that I birthed naturally. And yeah, and also adopted a, a son. When my youngest sister passed away, I adopted her five-year-old son. That's why I have four. So Julia, I don't know about a certain formula to doing it. I think when you have clarity on the impact and the visualness of you being single and your children watching it, and raising these amazing human beings, it really gives you that drive to just keep going and just figuring it out. Um, there's no perfection to it. It's putting a plan together, failing forward. The day-to-day -day of a single mom, especially of a 24-year-old, 15-year-old, 
18 year old and a, a 12 year old almost is just incredible. Your schedule is is so crazy. So we've we've kind of captured a couple of things with my family. My children have access to my calendar. They go to my calendar and they put all their events there. So I don't miss even one event. All of them are very active. My oldest daughter was a D1 athlete. You know, my younger one plays basketball. She also uh, ran track, played volleyball. My youngest son plays football and basketball. And I have a business and a lot of realtors, a lot of people to serve and a lot of people to coach and consult. So it really comes down to being highly organized and also creating a culture in their home, a culture of um, calendarizing things, making sure we are appropriate in the moments and making sure that we're not missing the special moments in life that you can never get back like a game or, or a competition, mm-hmm. right? So those are some of the things that I've learned. But I'll tell you, it's a journey of failing forward. It's a journey that can be very lonely. And yet it's a journey that is rewarding personally to me because when I look at the the human beings that I'm raising, it inspires me to do even more because they are doing way more than I ever even dreamt I, I, I would have seen my children do. So it's 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 great, you know, when 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 you have um, children that grow up in an environment where they see home ownership, mom, mom bought a house, the first house, you know, and we all move into the house. And now my 24 year old bought her first house at 23. Uh, we talked about, you know, business ownership. I see now that she's, she's gotten into the Airbnb business and the tour business. And so that environment in the house, even as a single mom can really create, um, some amazing humans that are observing what you do every single day. I was just going to say, I'm excited for this episode and having you on, Olga, because there's so many humans inside of this company, and I'm sure outside of this company, that you inspire with yes. all the things that you take on, with the success that you've had, with the philanthropy that you do. And I, one thing that I've learned about you over the years is you constantly lead with people first. It's not so. It's not about profits. It's not about success. It's about how can I serve others and provide value to others over and over and over again. And so I'm just, I'm I'm thankful for this conversation. I appreciate our relationship and I'm excited to dive in. And Julia, can I add one thing? You know, when you talk about wealth and building wealth, wealth looks different for many people. I -hmm. grew up in poverty, so I had no connection or relationship with money. If it was up to me, I would give it all away every single day. My children always laugh about it. I just give it, people call it, give it away. And yet, that's my view of what wealth looks like is to impact people's lives, to identify mm-hmm. every day of heroes that are doing things within our society, our community, our companies that might not look monetary, but it truly is creating impact. And some of the work that our Keller Williams agents and leaders have done all over the world is just incredible. And I'm so honored to be part of just a small percentage of that. I, I love that. That speaks volumes about who you are. I know you would give it all away. I absolutely do. She gives all her time away. She gives all her love away. She gives, all, but 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 I appreciate you saying that that wealth looks different for people, right? Um, and and I also appreciate the fact that you can speak to this conversation having come from poverty, because when we're talking about the fact that the average net worth of or wealth we call it for a single black woman is five dollars, um, that means for it to be an average. Uh, that means there's a whole lot of people who have negative a lot, right? Uh, and probably some who have a lot because they're 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 probably including Oprah in this stat. Okay, Oprah is a single <laughs> is a single black woman, and she's putting off these numbers. So so think about that when we talk about how many people are not 
just at a a, a five dollar net worth, far below in debt. And it, the article talks about student loan, of course, contributing to that. And so for the women, I wanted to have this conversation. Where do we start when you have four kids, Ogla? Right, and uh, you're all over the place with with activities, which is most of my friends' realities. It was mine for well over a decade. The reality is I'm at track meets and basketball games. And how do you start building wealth when you barely have enough money to feed those kids and play, pay for all them expensive traveling sports that our kids do? Where do you even start? So different, you know, different single moms start a different way. For me, because I can only share my personal story. For me, it's go, growing from poverty and then having the honor of being a mom and saying, I promise myself, if I get anything right in this world, is to create an environment where my children would never experience what I experienced. And it was, and I get emotional about it because it was, it was survival. It was just survival every single day, trying to figure out how to get out of the village, how to help people. So I really didn't have the tools of being a single mom. So I read a lot. I joined a lot of groups. I went to church. I spoke to my pastor. I looked for female pastors. I needed guidance because I was about to have a, a baby in a different continent, in a different country, who was going to be a Black American and I'm African American. And I'm trying to figure out all those things. You cannot do it on your own. So I really leaned on a lot of resources, books. Um, literally like wrote down what would that look like for my child from an education perspective. And then as I did my research, I was living in an apartment with a roommate in a different area of Orlando. And then literally she's in my stomach. She's not born. And I'm looking at schools thinking, oh my goodness, I don't want my child to go to the school type of school that I went to. Even though I was in the United States, I still had those fears in the back of my mind of going to such an improvised school and not having resources or a library, stuff like that. So when I started doing my research of the school, it was just in an area where it, I, you know, I couldn't, I didn't want my children necessarily to be in that area. And what I ended up doing was researching where were the top schools in the area, who was actually in those schools, what do the uh, environment look like in those schools? And literally the little place that I wanted my child to go to school with was one of the most expensive, most affluent place. And there was, if I was sitting down and not being very intentional and thinking bigger, there's no way I would have thought that my child could go to that school. But I knew failure was not an option. So I created a plan. I was working in the housekeeping department in a hotel, and I created a plan that I was going to buy a house in that area just so that my child can have an opportunity and go to some great schools. And at this time, I'm looking at daycare costs, guys, and it's like $17,000 just for a daycare in that area. And I'm over here making, what, I don't know, $34,000 maybe? And I just put it as a vision here. And I just knew if I worked really hard and surrounded myself with the right people, the right mentors, I can get there. And I used to drive around these neighborhoods and schools and, and visualize it. So when she was born, I had a plan. I found out that there was a 429 plan locally with the state. I applied for that one. I'm like, okay, I can put some little coins over here so that she can have a college um, plan. 
And then I also looked at my 401k and uh, the contribution threshold was really low. I increased that to the maximum. I was just trying to figure out this. How do I save money so this child can have a great life? And let me tell you something. When that child is born to you as a single mom and you're looking at them, it's the most unreal thing because you're responsible for human being. And yet when you have that drive that you want to give them the best of the best lives, it powers you you through some difficult things. I had a lot of support in my community. When I had my child, I literally had a whole like 15 people in the waiting room to help me welcome this child. Cause I was like, yo, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. And none of my friends had children. That was so hilarious. But we were over there reading books, you know, how to expect an expected mother, whatever. And finally we created a plan. I stuck to the plan. I cut off a lot of things. I didn't go out, I didn't shop. I only had the bare essentials in my fridge for years um, because I needed to save for that down payment. And, and I remember the first time the realtor helped me run my credit. He was like, uh, we're not ready. We're about two years out. I said, okay. And I'm being very honest. My credit score was 521 because I just didn't know what I didn't know when I came to the United States. There's no credit outside of the United States. And so I, you know, but my realtor say, hang in there with me. My realtor literally set me up for my wealth building journey with my young child because he stayed there all the way until I bought me a new construction townhouse. It, the market had crashed and the builder was giving it away. I got it for $175,000. And I hanged on to that house so hard until just a few years ago during the boom, I was able to sell it and the equity was over 200,000. But my children love that home so much, but they still call it home. But the beauty of what happened throughout that process is they saw me, they saw the journey. We went to the new construction, me and my baby in the stroller, every week, every weekend to look at the slab, to look at the walls go up, to look at those. I had no idea what real estate was. And she was part of all that. And so when we moved into the house, it was a natural progression for her to see herself as a homeowner. And, and, and that has just started a culture with the other siblings where they know that home ownership is possible if you prepare, if you save. We're still very strict about expenses in the house. We don't indulge. We don't do, like, we don't spend money. Um, and a lot of ours, of course, is because we do a lot of charity give back, but they have their budgets. They have their, their expenses. They they literally, my son is budgeting for his 12th birthday and he's telling me, is this extra? I'm like, no, can't have that. No, no, bond. we don't need that. No, we're not going to do that. Cut it back a little bit. This is your budget. You stick to it. Don't increase it. So as you run a business, let's say a single mom, those kids are watching you. Now, Ogla, how do you, where did, where did the vision come from? Where did the, the you, you kept talking about dreaming bigger or, or thinking bigger, you said a few times. And I think that a lot of people struggle with the ability to think outside of what they've already experienced. And so how did that happen for you? How did you think about becoming a homeowner or think about wanting to become, wanting to continue to do more and, and, and have more and get those experiences without being directly tied to people that were doing it? There's no, spe there's no specific answer to that. I think it's a couple of things. I had two grandmothers. They were the most dominant females in my, in my world growing up. And my grandmothers were really churchy and they were leaders. And 
My grandparents donated land for church, even though you know, we, we didn't have money. So my grandmother said, you can be anything you want to be. You do not let anybody tell you what you cannot be. And my grandmother on my mom's side said, you're a powerful woman. Now remember, we're in a village in rural Africa. Like these are conversations happening like years and years ago, right? But that was a seed. When you have somebody in your environment that can just plant a seed, uh, you know, as a mother, if you really watch the words you say over your children, they will remember that 50 years later, 40 years later. And then the next thing was my, my um, third grade teacher. His name is Mr. Kimani. Mr. Kimani looked at me one day and said, I see something different in you. And again, this is rural Africa. So these people along the way started planting a seed. And then I will never forget. We really didn't have TV. But the one time we had a little brown covered TV, I saw opera. And she was talking about giving back and all these things. And I said, I want to be that. So again, the visual, sometimes you need to see that. And then the next thing is resources and tools, reading books, podcasts, going to those spaces where you learn different things. For example, yesterday I was in two events. One was a NAREB, the National Association of Real Estate Brokers events, local here in my local chapter. And the president of NAREB, the national president of NAREB, uh, shared with us the initiatives moving forward for her presidency. And one of them was very specific to women. She talked about women investing in real estate, the WIRE program. She shared statistics and data about women in the Black community. If I was not in that room in that event, I would not have heard that or seen the vision as clearly as it is when she presented it with so much passion and also outlined a very specific plan. And then later on in the evening, I went to an event where one of our agents was speaking and it was an all women event and it was about investing. As a single mom, I had to run from an event, go make food, prepare a meal, make sure homework was being done and literally left the house and ran to the, there the event. I was exhausted, but I went there and I was so re-inspired because I saw so many young black women in that event listening and asking questions. And as a leader, as a single mom, as a black woman, I, I saw myself being the continuing catalyst to continue being in those spaces, continue going to hear these this messages because you alone cannot do it at home. You need to be surrounded by people and be in spaces where conversations are elevated around black home ownership or wealth building, or just sometimes go sit with other single moms and just and just cry and let it out. So I think from a, it's a mindset first, but we've got to find the tools and the environment space and then the people to help us think bigger. We keep talking, we, we, we come across mindset on almost every single episode in some capacity and talking about the mindset piece of it. And I think the, the, the unique nugget that I want our listeners to get from this is whether it's words of affirmation or whether you have young children, what are you, what are you preaching to them? What are you communicating to them? If it wasn't for the people in your village that were telling you you're a strong woman and you're different, we may not even be here having the conversation today. And that's how powerful either you convincing yourself how great you are and our youth and, and, and pouring into um, words, of, words of positivity and growth and, and abundance to these young humans to then go set out to create incredible things for themselves and pass those fundamentals down as well. So that's a big nugget that I don't want to I don't want to just gloss over because we'd not be here today if it wasn't for that. Can I give you a very specific example to tie what you just said down real tight? My oldest daughter, 
was born to a single mom. I was 25 years old and she and I, she taught me life. She taught me how to be a mom. And, and she and I went on this journey together and we were in spaces where, you know, it was the breakup with her father was very difficult and we were not in speaking terms for almost 10 years. So I was raising her, but I was also sharing her with him, even with no communication, because I never wanted her not to have a father in, in her life. Well, this amazing human being, that's my first daughter, um, went to school. You know, she became a D1 athlete. She was running. She got full scholarships to college. She got accepted into so many universities. Howard, talk about all the top universities. We went through our journey we looked at this amazing university. She chose to go to an HBCU. So she went to PV in Houston. And when she was at PV in Houston, on her own, without even letting me know, she started these clubs. And a lot of it was around venture capitalists. She was very passionate about crowdfunding and, and the tech industry. And she would do these like shark tanks of bring your product, pitch your product. Let's see if we can raise money for you. At this point, she's 17 years old. Well, she did one and she asked for my help, her dad's help to get, you know, get some things together, get some podcasts together. And we didn't do much. We were just cheering her on. But she did not know that there was a recruiter for Google in that space. That's how my daughter's journey started. She ended up doing an internship at Google. She ended up going to participate in another program in Tel Aviv in Israel for 33 days. And she didn't go alone. She asked to bring a few more of a black uh, friends and students to go together. So they participated in that. And then it created so many opportunities for her where she, when she was finishing her undergrad, she was being recruited by, by Microsoft, by BlackRock, by Google. She finally ended up at Google. She accepted a role in Google. At the same time, she got accepted into Columbia University to do her Master of Science degree. So at 21, maybe 22, she's working for Google. She's in grad school, COVID is happening. And then she started these coffee chats online that she could actually pour into other students in HBCUs that wanted to get into the field of tech. I'm sharing that because it, the results are, the way single moms can change the world might be our children. They're able to do so much more, but she's very, very articulate. And right now my 15 year old, is planning, she wants to go to medical school. So she, they created a Google form of all her classes at the 15 year old's classes and my oldest is helping her. They mapped out all the credits she needs to be able to get some college credits out of the way in high school, get her quicker into medical school. And they have this whole plan on their own. So you can create that environment for your children, be in the right spaces, your mindset has to be right they will take it from there and they will run with it in ways that you never imagined and they will change the world. Let's talk about some tacticals. And Daniel, since you own a mortgage company, maybe you can help with this. Tactically, you talked about your daughter buying that house. And I remember when she bought that house recently and, and you buying a house. Tactically, especially if income is an issue as well, because we're not just talking about net worth gaps here for single Black women. We talked about the income gaps as well. Um, if I don't have a lot of money, and maybe I'm starting out with a lower credit score, like Ogla was saying. Where do I start with trying to buy a house, Daniel, mortgage company man? Well, there's a there's a couple of things, and and Ogla talked about it. She was two years out when she started the journey, and so it really starts with our credit. And I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish we taught more of this in in high school. 
and got people prepared to actually be adults. Because as soon as I got, I mean, Ogla, my score when I started this journey, I was like at 470 something. Like I had credit cards maxed. I had debt consolidate. I had all the things set up, right? And we, there's not enough education around that. There's some really cool low income um, programs out there that are own, that are communities that are specifically built for low income or um, 60% of median income in the city or whatnot communities where you can still gain homeownership and you don't need to make 70, 80, $90,000 a year. And you can qualify for these programs all throughout the country. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's first with credit and then second with what box do I fit in and where can I go achieve this thing and have some fixed expenses and be able to paint that wall without having to ask for permission. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say. Ogla, you you said when you, we talked about getting into the house and, and Daniel was telling us about, you know, preparing and things. You also said you had a really good realtor that stayed with you along the way. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of realtors listening to this podcast. And I think that's important, you know, to to share like the impact that we're making on other people's lives. Right. And so your realtor didn't let you give up. And your realtor stuck with you. So as a realtor, understanding how important we are in the role of building mm-hmm. wor- net worth and uh, in, in helping people get into home ownership and this sticking with them, because sometimes it's hard. For for easily 15 years of, of my career or more, I only worked with first-term homebuyers. Not at first it was just an accident because that's all I knew, but then it kind of became my thing. But most of them were single black women. And also, I will tell you, and Trey will tell you too, because Trey used to tell me, I don't want to deal with your clients. Your clients are difficult. <laughs> like my, my clients were difficult. I'm not I'm just all, the, the, the young black women I dealt with were difficult. And it wasn't just because there was low credit scores or low income. Um, it was because they didn't know anybody else that's done this before. So there was a lot of fear. You know, they didn't they didn't have any friends. Their friends were in their ears telling them, oh, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. And they didn't have the people that you talk about in your village telling them this is what you should do. They didn't have a mom like Ogla saying, "Under we're going to buy, buy, buy. They they were against all odds, most of them. And so it was difficult for me. And it, be, it was my passion. Like I had a lot of agents that would give me those kind of clients because they're like, I don't got the patience. Uh, one, I don't got the patience for the programs we got to use, the down payment, the stacking of programs we got to use. And I don't have patience for the attitude because a lot of them were just, and it wasn't attitude. It was literally, they were scared. Uh, they were just fearful because nobody was cheering them on. Yeah. Uh, and so for a lot of us listening to this, that our realtors uh, recognize the importance of having the, the, the blessing of helping somebody achieve the type of wealth that you've achieved for your family through that first transaction and the importance of us and our role as realtors and 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 sticking with people and being that cheerleader when a lot of these women don't have one. And you know when you're talking to um especially a young black woman that works so hard, right? Maybe started a business or went to college, check save for down payment, check maybe went down to the county and signed themselves up for their down payment assistance check. And finally, they get to this moment where they put up their hand and say, could we, can I? I always encourage our realtors in the, in the brokerage. That's one of the most sacred moments of this career. And when you are sitting down with that client, you really need to ask all the questions There's a typical buyer consultation form that we all use, right? And yet, understanding the the challenges that especially Black women face with whether it's credit or income levels or or mortgage products that are 
you know, already set up for them to fail because of all the risk factors in the back of, you know, I'm sure Danielle can tell us a little bit about that. When that woman is in front of you, or that young lady is in front of you, they're trusting you. And the moment something goes wrong, it's not that they're upset with you or have an attitude. It's because all of a sudden that fear creeps in right. and everything they've been told about why they cannot own a home, why black people can't go in homes, all those things, you trigger that. And in that moment, you need to understand that. I, you know, I, sorry, I read a statistic that when somebody is denied, it can take them up to seven years to come back, just to have the courage to say, let me go through this process because it's traumatizing. And, and it's just not for like just income related issues or, or maybe people not having down payments. My, I don't want to speak for my daughter, but I can speak of her experience. She checked all the boxes. She went to undergrad, went to grad school, got a great job, six figures right out the gate, you know, positioned herself. She's in Austin, she's working for Google. And yet when we got into the mortgage process, we ran into a barrier. And I remember she was so upset, not because of the barrier in itself, but one of the things she said, if I'm going through this, can you imagine somebody else, a young lady like myself, maybe not making my income, maybe not having the education level. Can you imagine what they're experiencing? I mean, this is real. You know, people go through this and if she didn't have Number one, her, both her parents, they're cheering her on. If she didn't have a great realtor, if she didn't have a support system, she could have given up. And who knew? Maybe my daughter would not have gone back. Maybe she would have believed that she couldn't buy a home. So our career and what we do every single day is so important and it's so impactful. And we really have the opportunity to help people build generational wealth by listening, asking the right questions and being in tune with anything else that could be going on. To wrap this thing up, because I love this conversation and I could have it all day because I got a lot to say about this topic. But uh, two of those solutions that we talked about to to those stark statistics of the low net worth of single black women, um, one was home ownership, And we've talked about that a lot. The other was um, black owned women businesses, which, of course, you run uh, a business. And it specifically says give black women business owners more access to capital to jumpstart, maintain and leverage businesses. What would be a suggestion that you would have on how women can start a Black-owned women business or where to even start to, to get into the, is it grants? Is it loans? Is it angel investments? How do we even suggest someone start a business as a single Black woman? So I'll tell you one of the, the funniest one is, this, what do you call it, uh, Sisu? You know, when women get together and put their money together for something, I've been in groups of, of women that have, crowdfunded on their own thousands and thousands of dollars to contribute to one another to start a business. It's, it's incredible. And these groups are so strong and they stay together for years. I was invited to speak in one, one of the groups one day and I was incredibly surprised at what this group of women had done. They've opened businesses, they ran restaurants, coffee shop, just by getting together. But are more on our strategic tactical way i've learned of so many programs through the governments you know for example if you register your business as a minority owned black owned uh, women business there's actually a lot of resources available for you if you go to your county if you go to um, your local leadership your civic you know your, your civic leaders and ask those questions they actually have programs within their their program 
that have resources for 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 single women for you know for minorities um, so you can go to that i also went through uh, some training about government contracts and there's certain number of government contracts that are actually allocated to minority women but you have to go through the certification and typically it's free it does it's not a lot of money um get yourself certified so that you can start applying for those grants because they are available there's also nonprofits that do uh, credit counseling, that do um, different kind of um, counseling for you to get into these spaces. Uh, Google is a powerful tool. If you just learn how to Google things, the right words, you'll be amazed at some of the things that you do. Also, a lot of us are part of our Facebook groups for our communities. You know, we always get added into the communities, private Facebook pages. I've seen women also talk about that, like share or oh, go over here and this is what is happening. And in that way, again, it's that community, right? And the more people you talk to, the more places you go to ask the right questions, you'll start running into all these resources that can really help you. One of the things that I've, I've noticed and we recently launched in Orlando is coaching for, um, not coaching, consulting, because we don't charge for small businesses. It's like once a month on Zoom, bring your business, let's talk about it, or your idea, let's help you flush through how you can set it up. Where do they find that at? Uh, it's in our local WhatsApp chats. Okay. WhatsApp is powerful. I'm in like 77 chats. And there's always that. <laughs> we, By the way, we also run another one internationally in Kenya. There's 72 women in there. And I literally do business consulting for them on Saturdays or Sundays just to help them. The other thing I also wanted to share with you is um, when you go to um, many churches nowadays are starting to expand on these programs and starting to have these small groups for women for single women, go to that. Go to those meetings, and normally like early before the 9.30 service, and you'll be able to meet some really great professionals there. All right, I think we're at time. Ogla, listen, I'm so glad you joined us today. You know, you are you are so special to me. You are a phenomenal person. We're going to put your... Uh, do you have a link? Uh, uh, how do people find you? Because I want everyone to know how amazing you are about the philanthropy you do. How about the, the group that you run for all of that? Can you share that information with us? Absolutely. If you go to my Facebook, and I promise I respond to my messages on Facebook, I time block for that. If you go to Ogla Gatama at Facebook, you follow me, you'll be able to see the foundation. I do have a public face, facing page for the foundation. It's Ogla's Hope Foundation. And yes, we do amazing mission safaris. We teach workshops in different parts of Kenya. But we also do, we teach a lot of quantum leap workshops locally over here. Come and follow us through the journey. I promise you, your life will be re-inspired in ways that you do not even know. Thank you, Ogla, for being awesome. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you, Daniel, uh, for participating in this Black women conversation. <laughs> you, you added a lot of value, Daniel. Thank you. <laughs> and thank yes. you to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, we hope you'll join us for the next episode on the Color of Money podcast. Next time, y'all. Follow the Color of Money podcast today and get notified when new episodes are released weekly. Be part of this transformative listening experience. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The views, thoughts, and opinions of the guest represent those of the guest and not KWRI and its affiliates and should not be construed as financial, economic, legal, tax, or other advice. This podcast is provided without any warranty or guarantee of its accuracy, completeness, timeliness, or results from using the information. 